Hello, friends. You've been listening to the mellifluous sounds of the Concerto for Oboe and Strings in A Minor by Vaughn Williams, performed for you by William Hearman, Carleton College, class of 2004. Bill, thank you for joining me on this podcast today. <laughs> You're welcome. Perhaps the most ridiculous introduction I've ever uh, received. Thank you. <laughs> well, I'm going to get back to the oboe music in a moment here, but first <laughs> let me set the table for everyone. Uh, this is episode number three of the Trinity Church When We Gather podcast. We're trying to use these strange days in which, in God's providence, we're not able to meet together to talk about why it's so precious to meet together and to try to deepen the buy-in that we have in our church about why we do things the way that we do. First of all, about the, the what the Bible has to say about about the importance of our gatherings and the components that fit into them, but also the strategic choices we make about how to how to shoot at the targets the Bible sets for us. So, uh, so we've talked about congregational singing already. We've talked about biblical preaching, and in this episode, we're going to talk about corporate prayer, the church praying together in her gatherings. And I am glad to have Bill Hearman here with me. Bill, of course, is known to all of you as. Uh, a faithful pastor to us, uh, a brother and a friend, a founding member of our church, and an all-around good guy who who did play a lot of oboe back in college, right, Bill? That's true. I did spend uh, a lot of time playing the oboe all the way through the end of college, though it feels like a distant memory a lifetime ago. Well, I have a not-so-distant memory, though, of you playing oboe. It's rather vivid, is it not? In, at a <laughs> Trinity Church event, no less. That is true. It's uh, perhaps my most memorable performance as an oboe player was a few years ago uh, when Drew and Sharon and Jennifer and I played what I think can only be described as a uh, legendary performance of the hit uh, by Carly Rae Jepsen, Call Me Maybe. Legendary is a good way to put it. I do think there is video evidence of that out there somewhere, though I don't personally have access to it. I would just encourage those who are interested to, to maybe ask around, ask your friends, see if they can get a hold of it. Uh, while, while Bill and I, for now, move on to the topic of the day, which is, as I've said, corporate prayer. We want to talk today about, about why the congregation prays at, in its gatherings, about what kind of prayers we pray when we're together, and about how we try to fill those prayers with content that's useful and honoring to God. Uh, so, Bill, I think the place to start in, in each of these conversations has been um, what the unique role of the gathering is. Um, plays in these practices that in one way or another we're all engaging on our own. So we, we all sing by ourselves. We all consume sermons. Sometimes over, I'm guessing all of us at one time or another are going to consume a podcast sermon or go to a conference and hear a sermon. And we certainly, I hope, all pray regularly on our own. What we want to talk about in these conversations, though, is what's unique about doing these things together. So let's start there. What would be missing in our lives as individual Christians and in our corporate gatherings if we didn't put prayer at the center of them? Yeah, well, I certainly think the, the first answer that comes to mind is unity, that Christianity is a team sport. It's no such thing as a lone ranger Christian, and, and that's true in all aspects of our spiritual lives together. Prayer is no different. And so if prayer is really about a conversation with God, an encounter with God that's meant to build our faith, to submit our will to His, to come in desperation and confidence and hope, then when we do that together, we build a unity 
that we couldn't experience any other way. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Unity specifically around who we're oriented to. I mean, we're not just a social club as a congregation. As much as we enjoy being together, as important as our fellowship is, uh, we're different from other types of groups that are that are in our lives. And this group is a group that is mutually admiring God and all of His goodness and beauty and mutually depending on Him for what He alone can do. I mean, one reason that I think of as core to why there's so many prayers in our gatherings is that God's power is core to everything that we want to see happen. That if, if, if He's not for us, then all the goals that matter most to us are not going to come to fruition. People won't be converted. They won't grow in their faith. Relationships won't be healed and reconciled. Uh, and, and we won't have... A persevering faith that will carry us all the way to glory, unless God holds us, unless He converts us, unless He grows us, unless He holds us fast all the way to the end. So what we're praying for is a community that won't work apart from His power, and one way to, uh, to just express that dependence on Him is to make sure we're praying a lot to this God who's everything. Anything else to add on this front? Well, just that I think that it's really distinctive for us to spend as much time praying as we do. And you mentioned that it's a way that our community orients ourselves towards God and in response to what He's revealed to us in His Word. And, and you know, I think when people come to a church service, they should notice that there's something different about the body of Christ than the world. And spending focused time on prayer just doesn't make sense unless the things are true about God that, that we believe them to be. And that should make an impact on people who come to, to be a part of our services. At the risk of boring them, right? I mean, because there is something about prayer that is probably the least entertaining of, of all the things that we're doing. I mean, maybe there's maybe you can say that about the sermons too. I don't know. Uh, I'll leave that to you guys to judge. But there there's some stuff in the sermons that, that, that if you just like podcasts in general may engage your mind at some level, and, and singing, we all know we all love music. Uh, but but prayer, if he's not real, and if you're not trusting him or seeking after him, will be a time to sit on the sidelines. It's a, it'll be a time that you want to enjoy. And we're okay at the with the risk of boring someone who, who isn't seeking after God for the sake of making that distinctive point you've just, you've just made, that we are seeking after God. He's everything to us. Yeah, that, that's definitely right. You know, there's there's one other thing that I think um, is really important about what we get when we pray together, and that honestly is just a chance to pray together, because prayer can be hard. Uh, prayer is hard to engage in regularly, and all of us go through seasons in our lives where it's been hard to pray in a certain week or month, and whether that's just because of busyness or a prolonged period of doubt or a struggle with sin— when you come to a church on Sunday mornings at Trinity, you're going to have the opportunity to engage in prayer. Amen. So if it's been a while that you have not confessed your sins before God, you're going to have the chance to do that every single week that you come. And I think that's a really important thing that we would otherwise miss if we didn't pray together. Amen. Amen. So, so you've brought up at least one or two categories of prayer already, just there in, in what you've just shared. Let's jump to that. So the, the Bible is our guide for everything we do when we're together. We try to make sure everything we do is grounded there because it's safer. It, it makes sure that it's something that honors God and that serves everybody else. So Christians for hundreds of years have found in the Bible 
at least four categories of prayer that are that we believe are very helpful to use to structure our times together each week. Um, they're, they're prayers that you can find in the Psalms. Each of these categories is in the Psalms, and you find them elsewhere throughout the Bible. I think because these are four categories of prayer that, that, that you'll experience at Trinity every time we meet in one way or another, uh, it makes sense to, to jump to each of these categories and to just talk for a bit about what we're going for in each one. So category the categories are prayers of adoration and praise, prayers of confession, prayers of thanksgiving, and prayers of supplication. So let's start with, with adoration and praise. Bill, what are you going for when you pray one of these prayers at the beginning of one of our services? Well, like you mentioned, we start every single service with a prayer of praise, and that's on purpose because we want to take the opportunity to orient ourselves to what's true about God. And prayers of praise are meant to worship God for who He is and what He said about Himself. And so we try to pray to Him and worship Him for His role as creator of the universe, for His role as redeemer. And we also try to pray prayers that specifically focus on each person of the Trinity as a yeah. way of highlighting what's true about God and, and centering us on that fact as we begin our worship service. Yeah, and you've mentioned there several categories of prayer that focus on how He's revealed Himself to us in history, what He's done. He's shown up in creation, He's shown up in redemption, the Trinity acts out in, our, in the stories that we all experience. I think another category of prayer in the prayer of praise, another subcategory, if you will, is prayer uh, praising Him for His, his, his character. So his works, yes, but also just who he is in his essence. He's told us about himself and his, his attributes that make him beautiful and glorious and holy, not like any other. And these prayers of praise are a chance to, to take what the Bible has said about him and echo it back to him and around to one another so that we remember who it is that we're talking to. Because as important as it is to approach God as a father with the intimacy that he invites us into, uh, we also need to remember who our Father really is. Uh, somebody's warned against allowing familiarity, which is His gift to us in the gospel, to bleed into flippancy, as if we just come to Him willy-nilly or like we come to anyone else, when, when He really isn't. He's holy. And this these prayers help us set the table for everything else that comes after. Yeah, and I think that when we focus on how different He is than us, how much more infinitely worthy he is, that really sets us up for the second category that you mentioned, which is the prayer of confession. Yeah. We can realize that God is those things, and we are not, and we yeah. have, in fact, fallen short of that glory. And so I think it's one of the most important things that we do every week to spend time either in silent prayer or in a spoken prayer by one of the elders to, to just consider and come to God to confess our sins before him. Yeah, do, do you ever worry that the fact that we confess sin in every single service could could uh, make shame worse of a problem for people who, who who come in ashamed and then are confronted with their sin. Is it gonna? Is it so? These services are meant to build up the church. They're for edifying us, encouraging us. Does does the confession piece risk moving us in the opposite direction from that? Well, I don't think so. And and the reason is the only way out of shame is to bring your sin into the light. And so. If you are coming into a worship service feeling ashamed of what you've done, it probably actually is because you haven't had the freedom of confessing your sin to God. Hmm. And, and the reason is that God promises to forgive us our sins, right. to cleanse us of all unrighteousness. And so quickly in our services, 
we follow this period of, of confession, which should be freeing to the believer by a statement of what's true about God, that he, there's a gospel assurance that comes yeah. afterwards. Yeah. Reminds us that he is faithful to forgive us our sins. Yeah, I, I, I totally agree with that. I, I do think that there, that false shame or shame that, that a person shouldn't be feeling that has brought on themselves because they're blaming themselves for something they haven't done is a real problem. And it's one that we constantly want to try to pastor people out of. But I, but I also think that in the, in the drive to get past a shame that you shouldn't be feeling, we can sometimes deprive people from the only freedom that's there for shame they should be feeling. Because all of us have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, unless we are honest with ourselves, with our friends, and with Him, ultimately, about who we are, the psalmist says in Psalm 32 that, that our, we'll just waste away, and that the only way to, to recover from it is to acknowledge the truth and look to God beyond it. Uh, so as you've mentioned, these confession prayers, which can be an unburdening time, not, not heaping a burden on our shoulders, but a, a time to unburden ourselves, lead us into gospel assurance. We usually do a reading f- that celebrates God's steadfast love or what He's done in Christ. And then, um, and then prayers of thanksgiving. Now, in, in, in our practice, most often we're going to be singing songs in this slot that, that celebrate the gospel we've just read about, though sometimes we'll have a prayer read or, or, or spoken in that slot. What are we going for in prayers of thanksgiving? Well, really, we're looking to God to recognize that every good gift that we have comes from Him. Amen. And that means the grace that we have received in our salvation, but it also means the good gifts that He's given to us in other forms, like provision and and providence and relationships and all the wonderful things that we have because of Him. Amen. Amen. And then Thanksgiving, having heard the gospel, which meets us in our sin, having given thanks for it, uh, we're set up for prayers of supplication. This is where we bring our requests to God. So Romans 8 grounds this practice. If he hasn't spared his own son, but has given him up for us all, how will he not also with him freely give us all things? It honors him when we take him up on that promise, on that invitation. So that's the final category. We will each week bring real tangible needs to him and trust that that's something he wants from us. Anything else to say about this overall structure, this this four-part sequence of prayers that we use each week? Well, just that I, I think it's really important that we build that intentional structure into our services because it, it mirrors the gospel. So we begin with adoration and move to confession and thanksgiving and then supplication because it reminds us the sort of bigger story of the gospel, and that's built in to the regular flow of worship every week, and I think that's really important for us. Yeah, it's a, it's a time to live in that story, isn't it? And to reinforce it so that we carry it with us out of, outside of this week. To me, that payoff is, is why it's worth the risk of doing the same thing each week, even though it's possible for, when, when you repeat something so often, for it to just become a formality, just going through the motions, and, and, and it's possible to lose a kind of authenticity through repetition you and I agree, I think, that that doesn't have to happen. And in fact, repetition can be partly a huge part of the work that these these prayers are doing in our hearts and in our lives to help us see ourselves through the story that the Scripture tells to us of God who made us, a God who called us into His own image to, to reflect His beauty, whom, whom we've sinned against, who loves us anyway through Jesus and now invites us to relate to Him as a Father. Um, any any other response to that possible objection that the repetition turns this into just a mere formality? Well, sort of two things. The first is that I think the structure is what we hold to each week, 
And because that mirrors the structure of the gospel, I want that repeated every week. Yeah. We can't lose out on that. Where I think it would become dangerous and, and maybe more risky of sort of becoming repetitive and, and people not engaging is if we prayed the same exact prayers every single week. But we have a lot of variety, actually, in the kinds of prayers that we pray in adoration or in confession. And so I think that actually does engage people uh, in new content each week around the same themes. Yeah. And that actually, I think, helps people engage with the service so they don't have to learn a new order of service every week, which actually can be very disorienting. Yeah, totally. It gives a set of expectations that, that can serve people, not actually hurt them. I think we got to be careful with it. Uh, it can definitely become a formality, just emotions that we go through, but it doesn't have to be, and Lord willing, won't. Uh, and we'll trust Him to help guide us away from that from that trap. Yeah. Do, do you write out your prayers before you pray on oh, Sunday absolutely. morning? You do? Yeah. Why do you do that? Well, I think that it helps me to be prepared and careful and keeps me from wandering too much. So when I get up there, and I have done it both ways, by the way, and when I get up there and I sort of am just praying off the cuff, I find that it's a little more wandering and people don't really track with me as well. Um, so for me, it, it just builds a kind of clarity. And I don't think, honestly, it, it sacrifices any authenticity. The kind of prayers that you're getting are just as much me, just because I thought about them ahead of time doesn't yeah. really make any difference. Yeah, I totally agree about the easy to ramble part. And, and the downside, the problem is that you're, you as a rambler, I don't mean you, Bill, I mean <laughs> the rambler in general, is probably going to be the last person to realize that you've rambled. Uh, it's one reason we get a lot of feedback, you know, for, for one another in our prayers and try to, try to communicate that to each other if that happens. But you're going to be the last one, and so better to just try to ward that off at the pass and come up with a prayer that you stick to. I, I won't always write some... There's certain times where I like to pray using some of the same language regularly, especially certain prayers of confession. Um, and then every now and then there's a prayer of praise to the, the, that, that captures the beauty of the Trinity that I, I like to use a lot. I think that familiarity can help people, um, and so I'm, I'm, I'm okay to do that. But it was basically just written a long time ago, and I just still use it. One of my supplication prayers, I'm always writing those up. And I think it's because you, you write down things that are important. You don't want to leave to chance something that really matters. Um, and... Uh, somebody mentioned the uh, the that when something's really important to do, uh, you you make a to do list. You don't leave it to chance whether or not you're going to remember to do it. It's because of how much it matters that you put it to paper. I feel that way about these prayers, and and I know one of the main reasons it's important is, is that we're talking to God, but but also and something we haven't talked about yet that I think we should talk about now is it's a chance to model healthy prayer for our congregation. It's, a, it, it's really part of our teaching ministry um, as pastors uh, in, in our church. So, so let's switch gears to that for a second. So here we're especially talking about the supplication prayers, though this applies at, at one level to all the prayers. What are the kinds of things that, that you're looking to model as you build out those prayers? Well, I, I think it's something we, we said before, that learning to pray is hard. It's not something that necessarily comes naturally. And so when we come to, especially the prayer of supplication, but really all of them, we do have an opportunity to display what a prayer life could look like. And that's actually one of the reasons that I like so much that we have different elders praying the prayer of supplication so regularly, yeah. 
is that it allows me to benefit from their own personal prayer lives and to learn different ways of praying and different ways that they talk to and engage with God. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I also love the chance to model the scope of prayer that the Bible calls us to, and and that writing out prayers in particular, um, the discipline of doing that helps to make sure that we're reaching beyond whatever might be top of mind in the moment, as important as those things may be, to, to stretch ourselves into the things that God tells us to prioritize. I think this quote uh, from John Stott is worth reading. I'm going to read this. This is, I came across recently, and it really convicted me, but also reminded me of why the, the approach to these prayers that, that we're trying for I think is so important. Here's what John Stott wrote once. He said, I remember some years ago visiting a church incognito. I sat in the back row. When we came to the pastoral prayer, it was led by a lay brother because the pastor was on holiday. So he prayed that the pastor might have a good holiday. Well, that's fine. Pastors should have good holidays. Second, he prayed for a lady member of the church who was about to give birth to a child that she might have a safe delivery which is fine. Third, he prayed for another lady who was sick, and then it was over. That's all there was. It took 20 seconds. I said to myself, it's a village church with a village God. They have no interest in the world outside. There was no thinking about the poor, the oppressed, the refugees, the places of violence, world evangelization. End of quote. A village church with a village God. That's what we could be. Not because these things that the examples that he's given are inappropriate for prayer. We will pray over these things, often do, over sickness and maybe not the maybe not the pastor vacation part, but the you know, the the sickness and safe deliveries and all that. Absolutely, we want to bring the needs of our body to the Lord. But if we don't ever get beyond that then we're stopping short of who he is and of the reach of his kingdom and his priorities and short of what kind of prayers the Bible calls us to prioritize. So so let's let's push this a little bit further. What are some of the things that you try to bring into your prayers that maybe reach beyond whatever's top of mind in the moment and into the priorities that the Bible sets for us? Yeah, I think it's it's really important that we recognize that prayer in general is a conversation with God but that it's a conversation that God has initiated. And so we actually want to be responding to him and responding to the priorities that he set for us in the Bible. And so we want to look to all the areas of the Bible to identify what are the things that matter to God. I think one of the most helpful ways that we do that is by having sort of a weekly rotation mm-hmm. where, where each week is in the month is set aside for praying over a different part of our community together. And so um, you might have to actually remind me on what the weekly rotation yeah, is here. Yeah, I can jump in there. Yeah, why don't you do that? Yeah, yeah. I can jump in there. So, so you know, this is just one way to do it. It's not the way we've always done it. This is a way we, we began to do it maybe a year, year and a half, two years ago uh, as, a, as a way of structuring and bringing a little more predictability, things we were already including in our prayers, but just in a, in a slightly more haphazard way. So on the first week of each month, our prayer follows communion and focuses on our own local church. So there we'll pray for the kinds of things that the Bible calls us to pray for, for us as a local church, but also as individual disciples, things like deeper connection to the gospel that, that as Paul prays in Ephesians 1, the eyes of our hearts would be enlightened so that we can see and understand the the, the beauty of the inheritance he set aside for us. We'll pray for that. We'll pray for unity in our church, theologically, 
but also in relationships for for grace to to be slow to take offense and quick to seek reconciliation. We'll pray for the evangelism that our members are 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 doing out wherever God has placed them. Um, and, and any number of other things will come into that prayer there. The second week, we pray over our city. There we'll pray for other local churches, for example. Jesus tells us to pray, thy kingdom come. We trust that for now, God's kingdom is coming in healthy local churches and in their work. Um, uh, they're, they're, they're plotting week after week work that, that right now is where his kingdom is visible. So we'll pray for a, few, a handful uh, each of those weeks. Jesus tells us to pray that God's will will be done. So partly we're praying for justice and peace and flourishing in our city that honors who God says we are as, as humans made in his image. So we'll pray for city officials and schools, the work of schools and, um, and, and other pressing needs that come up. Then on, um, on the third Sunday of the month, we'll pray over our nation, sometimes very similar prayers to the types of things we'll pray for for our city, but just where those issues are are cast broadly across the, the national life. So pray for, for uh, our government leaders. We'll pray for um, policies that will reflect the beauty of each human life um, as made in God's image, that will, that will seek human flourishing, especially for those who are most vulnerable, uh, including ethnic minorities and the unborn. Um, and then on the fourth Sunday, we will uh, we'll pray for the world. Uh, so kind of following that that uh, the the circles of expanding influence that Jesus calls us to called his first disciples to Jerusalem Judea Samaria the ends of the earth we're we're following that out with our prayers and in each prayer praying both for the work of the gospel in healthy local churches being planted in unreached peoples getting access to who Jesus is but also flourishing in peace his will being done on earth. Um, in, in healthy society, so we'll pray over things like refuge, the refugee crisis in Syria, or places where there's um, where there's violence or war, um, places where we have members serving in evangelism and outreach, um, and places where our persecuted brothers and sisters are struggling to hang on. So those are the those are the four categories that we try to use to organize our prayers. Anything else you want to say about the the biblical topics that we try to push into each of these prayers? Well, just that. In as much as we're trying to recognize what is important to God in each of those prayers, in each of those topics, we also want to take the opportunity to pray for needs and desires that maybe brothers and sisters in Christ sort of all over the world might find important. So we don't want to be too narrowly focused on just people we know or our, our congregation. And the reason I think that's important is that it builds a diversity in the body of Christ, or at least recognizes a diversity in the body of Christ that's really important. And, and I was reading this uh, book on prayer that John Onwachikwa wrote, and he emphasized how important the time of pastoral prayer was for building diversity. And he wrote this, he said, the prayer list, not the Sunday service elements, not the preaching style, not even the ethnic makeup of the leadership of the church is often where the battle for diversity is won or lost. Amen. A church prays for what it prioritizes. Uh, and I think that's just a really important thing that we want to be aiming at every week when we're praying uh, over the uh, prayer of supplication. Amen. I love that. The battle for diversity won or lost in the pastoral prayers. Um, I, I need to sit with that for a little bit. I think that's wonderful counsel. I, I, we've been talking about the kinds of topics that we want to model so that so that our prayers throughout the week flow out of our prayers together on Sunday mornings. I think we also have a particular tone to our prayers that we're trying to model, a, a how to pray, how to speak to God. 
And there, I don't know what you would say on this point. I, I think one thing we're looking for is, is a balance between language that's serious and respectful and careful, because we've already set the tone of who it is that we're dealing with here, a holy God who's not like us, who sits enthroned as the Lord of hosts, while also avoiding a kind of um, flowery religious jargon that can sometimes seem like respectful and careful language, but but really is just inaccessible um, insider speak. Totally. We want to avoid that if we can. I mean, think of Jesus criticizing the Pharisees for praying in public in so, so that they might be heard and 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 that, that those who hear them will be impressed by the things that they say. Well, we want, to, we want to avoid that, for one thing, but then we also just want anyone who's there to be able to understand what, what we're saying and, and where we're coming from. I totally agree with that. You should not have to have a seminary degree to come and listen and be moved by the prayers that we're speaking. We want language that's down to earth, that's engaging, but that also models a sort of reverence and and uh, spiritual recognition that we're praying to the God who made us. Totally. Yeah, and that's a hard target to shoot at. I mean, one way that you as a congregation can pray for us is uh, pray for prayers that, that hit that target in the language that we're using. And one of the ways that you can serve us is to give us feedback on the language we're using um, sometimes we don't recognize that we're using language that's not very accessible. Uh, one of the things that the elders do regularly for one another is, is shoot quick text of feedback after a Sunday service. If some of that language, if there's some language that comes up that that maybe isn't as helpful, um, we just we just call it out and we trust one another. We all want to we all love one another. We're for one another, and we want to get better and better. And you can help us with that. It's always welcome, right, Bill? Absolutely, we love that kind of feedback. We like to get better every time. <laughs> So um, I actually have a question that I uh, get in a lot okay. about prayer. And to be honest, I get it mostly from my children. <laughs> okay. Uh, which is, does Mr. Matt recognize how long he's praying for when he prays the prayer of supplication? And so uh, <laughs> for all the children out there, I would like to have you answer that question. Yeah, it's a good one. Uh, and the answer is, yeah, mostly do we do know how long we're praying. Um I think that the, the behind that question is is probably a fear or maybe a, a charge that praying for that long is is really boring to do, uh, and and I think maybe before I get into justifying why we pray as long as we do, I'll say I'll cop to that and say yes, yeah, sometimes it can be boring, and that's always going to be my fault as the one praying or your fault, Bill, or whoever happens to pray. Uh, we want to acknowledge that, that that if we aren't careful with the words that we're using, or if we do slip into rambling or chasing rabbits, and, and it isn't uh, that there's there's a possibility that it, it we could lose people's attention because of our poor planning or poor execution. So maybe that's what's happening. But if that's what's happening, the solution is not to pray shorter prayers, but to pray better prayers, more substantive and careful and well structured prayers, uh, because prayer is not just something to get through. It's not something that someone else is doing um, that you sit there and, and, and listen to. We want everyone who's there to consider those prayers as a time for them to serve. As you listen, you're affirming that prayer. As, 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 as requests are made, you're repeating them yourself in your own heart and mind. And, and it's a time to be engaged, not a time to, to sit back and wait until it's over. Yeah, that's totally right. When we pray together, it, you're not a consumer of that prayer. You're not a passive yeah. listener. You are an active participant in the prayer. And I think that, you know, if what we've said is true about the kind of corporate prayers that we're offering, 
then the 10 minutes or so that we spend in corporate prayer out of 90 in a worship service honestly feels like maybe it's not quite enough. Yeah, amen, amen. I, for one, have thoroughly enjoyed the the digital uh, prayers we've been going for during this weird time, but I just can't wait to be back together and, and praying together as a community. Bill, thanks for taking this little time here, these few minutes, to t- talk through what we're going for. And we'll trust all of you friends who are listening to take this and to, to use it to inform your own prayers and your own investment in our church. And to remember that even if we're the ones up there speaking, you're also doing the work, sharing it with us. Um, and, and we'll work together towards a community that more clearly and faithfully orients itself towards God and His power in all that we do. Thanks, everybody. Thank you.